Welcome to the Rooted Deep Podcast. I am your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr. And I am your co-host, Paula Chang. We're really excited that you joined us here for fresh new content each and every week where we get to share not only the stuff that we're learning, but we also get to help you learn new things. Each and every week we pick a book and we talk about some topics from that book and talk about how not only it's helped us enhance our lives, but how it could also help you enhance your life so that you get to be the person you're meant to be and reach your potential. We hope that you are able to receive not only what you wanted to get from this, but we also get to help somebody else's life change. So give this like, share, subscribe, share it out to your friends. Just help everybody know that they too can enhance their lives. And we are live. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Rooted Deep Podcast. Once again, I am your co-host, Mr. Carl Bourne Jr., and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Paul O'Ching. Um, I know last week we went over the first portion of the three parts of the book, Ego is the Enemy. And that first part, once again, was aspire. Uh, second part is success, and the third part is failure. So we went over the first half of aspire, and this week we're going to go ahead and finish up the other half before we start next week on success. So one of the things, bro, that really just blew me away from this second half of Aspire was the notion of following the quote-unquote canvas strategy. And for those of you who aren't reading the book um, or have no idea what I'm talking about, the canvas strategy basically is just kind of describing in a way how oftentimes we get put in these positions where we may question our role, you know, whether that be a job that you're working or uh, a, a mentoring opportunity or whatever the case may be. And you just feel like I shouldn't be here. You know, I'm better than this. And the following the canvas strategy, it was really about helping others. It's helping yourself by helping others. Uh, and making an effort to trade your short-term gratification for a longer-term payoff. And when I thought about it, it really just convicted me about how there have been ample times in my life where I completely missed my blessing and had, you know didn't realize the positive that was going to come out of the situation that I was in because I was so focused of wanting to get out of that situation. And I think with the following the canvas strategy, it's so much about being able to embrace whatever role you're in so that you can understand that there are levels to everything in life. And in order for you to get to the top level, you have to realize you have to go from the ground floor up and just reading this chapter it was just really mind-blowing um thinking about that because it's like 
you should find canvases for other people to paint on and clear the path for the people above you because eventually, you know, that will have you create a path for yourself. Kind of sort of like you scratch my back, I scratch your back. You know, if I'm if I'm looking out for someone else and I'm trying to, you know, provide service to them, really, because that's what you're doing. You know, you're 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 providing service. Um, you're being a servant. And I think oftentimes what happens with that, too, Paul, is that we get this negative connotation around the word servant and we don't realize that to be a servant actually means that you can allow yourself to eventually get into a higher position, you know, because you're not afraid to to humble yourself. You're not afraid to uh, put yourself last or put others ahead of you. And I mean, granted, you don't always, you know, want to put other people in front of you. Sometimes you got to take care of yourself. Uh, But I think the whole notion of it is just that there's nothing wrong with starting from the bottom and there's nothing wrong with getting your hands dirty and doing the things that other people don't necessarily want to do to get to where you need to get. Um, Because the person who clears the path ultimately controls the direction and that's just as the canvas ultimately shapes the painting. So that, that was something that really stuck out to me uh, going through, through that chapter about, following the canvas strategy. I love what you just said, that the person who clears the path ultimately controls the direction. The person who clears the path ultimately controls the direction. Um, I'm just gonna start with a basketball analogy because as we are speaking, the Raptors are about to make a clean sweep of Philly. But I think the person that does the best job of clearing the path or the person that does the best job, I think, on, a, on the floor, right? So if you basketball heads on the floor, is always the point guard. The point, the point guard's job is to set up the plays, set up people to score, create, control the tempo of the floor so that their ultimate goal when in the game happens with each possession of scoring scoring on each possession right and I think that not everybody can have the humility to be the point guard especially in the league especially in the league and this can translate to anything you want whether or not you're in school whether or not you are at work whether or not you're with your friends your family it it can translate because this canvas strategy requires of you to be to be okay with delayed gratification in the sense that what you want you should be it it makes you hold it off and like carl said before usually the best things come to those who wait and if you're able to hold it off long enough when you get it it'll be so much sweeter right i think when it comes to ego too everybody wants to rise everybody wants to grow quickly everybody wants to make a million everybody wants to be on the cover of the magazine. Everybody wants to be invited to the Met Gala. Everybody wants to be out there. But I think sometimes it becomes so 
scary at how willing people are to overlook the process that some people had to go to. I think, I mean, and you see it in like all those movies growing up, right? In all those movies, when we see the the person that really made it at the end, the story's usually always the same. They had to start from the bottom. They had to work their way through the system. They had to clear, honestly, clear the path for a lot of people, right? Um, they had to, some, some roles, they had to be an assistant where they're grabbing coffee for somebody. And it just seems like their talents are not being recognized. But what we don't see on the other side is because they're grabbing the coffee, because they are doing all these things on the back end of stuff, when they get into position of power, when they get into position of leadership, they're not just now coming into, like, I'm in charge and you guys follow me. They understand what it took to get there, one. And two, they know what it's like for the people coming up behind them, right? And I think we look at this as servant leadership. They know what it's like for the people coming up behind them, but they only know this because they took the time to, to clear the path for um, other people. In the book, it refers to the Romans. Um, they had a term, antimbulo. I know I am massacring that word. I know I'm massacring that word. That is Antiambulo, yeah, something like yes. that. See, there, there we go. English educated right there. Uh, <laughs> that is spelled A-N-T-E-A-M-B-U-L-O. And basically that referred to when a person would clear the path for their master or for their patron, right? So this ultimately means that, like Carl said before, the person that clear the, clears the path controls the direction. So the person that would clear the path in front of the patron, they're the ones that get to decide how are we going to get from point A to point B. In that process, they're able to secure a very quick position because now their master, their patron, their boss is relying on them to take care of the logistics. Now, if you jump from point A to point B and don't understand how to take care of the logistics, you're only as good as I can throw you because you only know how to lead at point B and you only know how to lead at point A. You only know how to function at point B and you only know how to function at point A. You only know how to submit your assignment and you only know how to upload your assignment. You only know how to contribute to a certain part of the group project and you only know how to sit on the sidelines and watch a group project being done. You only know how to cut open the cadaver and you only know how to clean up the instrument. There's so much in between that we don't get taught. And the only way to learn that stuff is to clear that path make it possible for somebody else to reach those goals before you do because you get to learn from their experience you get to learn from their mistakes that's a big one too you get to learn from their mistakes as well and on the flip side when your turn comes because it will you put in the time time is the greatest you know benefactor for everybody you put in your time helping somebody else win when your time comes up you're that much better because now you know exactly what to and what not to do but on top of that, you can be able to lead somebody be coming up behind you even better, make them better, because you know every single thing that's required of somebody to uh, to succeed in whatever role they're going after. Well said, brother. Well said. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's real, you know. And 
again, I know I, I've I've said this on a previous episode, but I just really can't stress how much I love the fact that this book is connected. Like every chapter, it seems like in a way it, it, it's linked to another chapter or like a ch- one chapter builds on another. And I know like even, even with that, it's funny because it ties in with the other two chapters, uh, two other chapters that are in that first half, which is their chapter on restraining yourself and getting out of your own head. Because when you think about that, in order to be the antiambulo, in order to be a, a servant leader, in order to have that type of humility, you have to be able to restrain yourself as well. You know, our own path, whatever we aspire to be, will in some ways be defined by the amount of nonsense we are willing to deal with. And it's funny because it really makes you realize how in terms of your ego, self-control is important because by having self-control, it exhibits a level of maturity and it exhibits a level of humility because you realize that everything does not warrant a response. And when you're able to put your ego to the side, it's real strength. Please say that again. When you're at that level of humility and maturity, you realize everything does not warrant a response. So when you put your ego to the side, it takes real strength to rise above instead of retaliate. And a lot of things that tend to happen and that transpire when you retaliate is you end up making yourself look dumb. You know, you end up making yourself look less valuable. And we don't realize that those who have subdued their ego understand that it doesn't degrade you when other people treat you poorly. It degrades them. You know, sometimes you have to take it. Sometimes you have to just ignore the noise and don't let it distract you. Because when you're the type of person that you let other people control your internal environment, man, you are going to be in for some serious problems. And that's just the truth, you know? And and, and when I really think about restraining myself and I think about my own life, I think of so many times where someone might've said something to me and literally like I, I fought so hard in my head, like, okay, don't say anything. Don't say anything. And then I say something and then I think about it later on after that encounter and I'm like, damn, that was stupid of me. You know, like, I feel like I demean myself. Like I let my ego get the best of me and I stoop down to their level. And that's something I don't want to do because if someone else can control my emotions, if someone else can control my happiness, then how am I going to be able to reach the goals and the milestones that I have for myself, you know? Um, so that was something that just really, you know, stuck out to me. And, and it, you know, again, that tied in also with the other chapter about getting out of your own head, because 
We all are so guilty of that, like so guilty of that. I can't tell you the amount of times there has been an exam in the past or an interview or a date or or whatever the case may be. You know, um, I remember, I remember, (laughs) I remember my exam, my GRE exam, that test, I hated it. I hated it so much. And I had to take it to get into PT school. And I remember how I would just get in my head so much about it, you know, and I would think, I can't do this. Why do I need to know all this stuff? Geometry doesn't matter with physical therapy. You know, all this stuff is irrelevant to the field that I want to go into. And it's just funny because I remember reading in the chapter about uh, General George C. McClellan, and I thought it was interesting how they talked about the fact that he refused to keep a diary during World War II because he was worried it would turn his quiet time into a time of second guessing and self-deception. And when you think about that, that's kind of wild because a lot of times we think the exact opposite and we think that writing down our thoughts and stuff like that, you know, like it, it, it's a good thing. And, um, you know, that, that helps us to get things off our chest, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, it, it, it can be absolutely, but I think it's just, it depends on the circumstance and the situation, you know, and, your imagination can be a dangerous thing when it runs wild. Um, (laughs) But on the other hand, it runs with getting out of your own head and not being too cocky because cockiness can lead you to getting into your own head and, and making you think that you are, you know, this hot shot that has it all figured out. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. And you tend to see things start to spiral out of control like that because you don't really have a hold on things like you think you do. But by that time, you're so engulfed in your ego that you're not even willing to admit, you know what, I'm wrong. You know what, I do need help. And it's just so incredible how all these different parts of the book tied together. Um, But that all of that just really made me think about the fact that we need to practice mindfulness, you know, whether that be through prayer, meditation, exercise, um, whatever the case may be, but we need to practice controlling our thoughts because our thoughts ultimately shape our actions and our actions ultimately shape our reality. Um, So get out of your own head, guys. Restrain yourself. Uh, Those were two big gems that I got out of the first half of um, Aspire. And that, first of all, you're a philosopher. I'm just going to put that out there. Because you keep hitting me with these gems over here, like trying to avoid yelling (laughs) and responding too loudly. But um, 
just to kind of hit more on that, that definitely ties in with pride and how how pride affects our actions and our thoughts, right? But like you said, you know, like your ego can can almost start to like cause you to live in delusion, and you can you can trick yourself into thinking that delusion simply because you mistake your ego for confidence. Simply because you allow your reality to become so warped with what you want and how you view yourself and what you think you're capable of that you don't even get met with real challenges anymore. And the less challenges you get met with, the more you think, okay, I'm really crushing it because obviously nothing faces me anymore. And one day, unfortunately, things might come crushing down. I'm not saying I'm hoping that's what it is, but it can. And that just, if you don't get a, a handle on that, if you don't get a handle on that pride, it, um, it, can, it can kick your ass. I mean, I'm just saying like that. It, it can really kick your ass. And I'm not, I'm not saying this just because it's in the book too, like, that's that's something that I've dealt with my whole life. I've had to deal with that my whole life because there's certain things that I'm naturally talented at. And because I'm so naturally talented at it, it can sometimes seem pointless to have to work hard at the thing that I'm good at because I'm like, it makes no sense. I'm good at it. Why on earth should I? Whatever, but at the same time, it's like if you start thinking like that, and let me give you a very specific example. So, growing up, I used to do these piano competitions, and picked up piano as a kid, and um, took lessons, started competing. Not gonna lie, I was out here killing it. I I, I was out here smashing folk. <laughs> I was out here smashing folk. You know, uh, with some Beethoven and some Mozart and some Diabelli. Who knew? What? Part of musician. Who knew? Uh, who knew? And um, I remember there was this one particular competition. An example, I was playing Beethoven's piano concerto in C major for piano and orchestra. And um, it was one of those competitions where it was a lot more diverse. So what happened is I was going through these piano competitions. And because it was just piano, I would come in and I could almost like, almost dictate where I would place in the rankings just based on how the people were playing. And I could come in and I could almost decide I wanted to do first place, I want to do second place. Like, you know what I'm saying? I got so filled with it because I was like, you know, I got this, this comes easy. So the difference with this competition was I came into it with the same mindset, right? I was so prideful, I was like, I'm gonna crush this. And the scary part was, one of my best friends was competing, but she was playing the violin. And um, like there were multiple instruments, instrumental disciplines in that one competition. And so my the way they were scoring it is like, so the top person in that instrument would win their section and then they would compete against all the other instruments, right? It, it seems a little wacky because it's like, how can you tell a fish to climb the tree, but whatever. We complete. so go through the piano section and I finished it and I, I honestly like 
I was so cocky. My parent teacher wasn't even sure I was gonna win, but I was like, nah, I got this. I am naturally talented. I was born to do this. Like this is this ain't nothing but playing some keys. I'm all right. And I won the piano section. So we come to the overall competition and I sit down to hear her play her strings. And um, that's when reality set in. That's when reality set in because, because suddenly I realized that my reality had become so warped. I thought I was so nice that I lost focus of what was ahead of me. I just assumed it would come naturally to me. I just assumed that I would win first place. I just assumed that I'd be the person that was wowing everybody else. Little to my happiness, everybody at that level was wowing everybody else. Everybody was good. And he went from just a technical competition to emotion, to how you carry the crowd, to how you leave people in suspense, things that I had not practiced. Because at the beginning, I thought, I play piano. This is all going to be it. And I lost out. I lost out on a huge opportunity, gigantic opportunity. And I think even with pride, too, right? Let's talk about it for a second. When it comes to people who are always striving to to win. People are always striving to succeed. And it's not a bad thing to strive to win, right? But when you strive to do something, you have to be careful that you do not become too proud, that you don't start boasting, right? And I know, you know, sometimes it's natural to only start to trash talk, but understand that you have to even trash talk within some boundaries. You have to keep your pride within some boundaries because anything could happen that could set you away from what you've been working towards. All it takes is one second. And we see it all the time. We see it all the time, right? We see freak accidents in sports. We see, I'm a motocross fan and I see all the time motorcycle guys just, motorbike guys just fall completely off their bike and I'm thinking they are dead. They've been working toward this, and now their back just flipped on them mid-air, 25 feet in the air. There's no way they made it. Anything can happen within a second. But understand that if you just humble yourself and work on your craft, work on the fundamentals, things that really can solidify you so that if, even th if things go wrong, you'll still have a firm foundation. Mercy. I thought I'm about to start preaching. I'm slowing myself down. You'll have a firm foundation. Come on, Pastor. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Think about it this way. Uh, I think the book said, the book talked about Bill Clinton, yeah? And it was talking about how Bill freaking Clinton, William, oh, William Clinton, used to keep track of how many people he met. He didn't have to. He had Secret Service to do it for him. He had AIDS to do it for him. But he kept personal track of how many people he met all the time. And the reason for this too is because he could be like, I'm a man of the people. I care about the people because he was real about it. So now you're going to ask him, who did you meet on Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m.? And he's going to be like, I may not know their name, but they were wearing this, this, and that. And we were here, here, here. That's somebody who's about it. He walks his walk and he talks his talk. He doesn't boast about it. He just does what it does. And it's it, that's less pride 
more humility. And I know it, even that doesn't sound too deep, but that's just what it is. Like less pride and more humility, and you will go far. So you don't have to fake it. Mercy. Yes, sir. Um, no, bro. It that's truthfully sometimes it really is the little things. Like you say, it's not that deep, but it really is the little things that can make such a big difference. And it's funny because as you were talking, it really tied in with uh, the other chapter about uh, the danger of early pride, you know? And it made me think that even with like Clinton, with what you're saying, that was him displaying the ultimate amount of humility because there is no need for someone of his status there is no need for him to to keep a record of people like that you know um as you said he did it to show that he was uh for the people but it's funny because when you think about ego and you think about pride it's funny that pride can make a minor accomplishment feel like a major one you know like sometimes think back to a time in your life where you accomplished something and if you're being completely transparent with yourself it was not major but you let your pride get the best of you you let your ego get the best of you and you hyped it up to be more than than what it was and it may have caused you to become complacent in an area and you missed out on a blessing. You missed out on some type of achievement that you would have fulfilled had you have humbled yourself and not been so prideful. Um, one quote that really stuck out to me while I was reading, and th this was fire. It was saying, what a pitiful thing it is when a man lets a little temporary success spoil him warp his judgment and forget what he is and I was like damn because <laughs> it's so true you know we get into these positions or roles where we see a little bit of of success you know or we get a little bit of buzz and we're like okay I'm, you know, I'm nice. I'm the man or I'm the woman for the ladies listening, you know, and you start feeling yourself and you start feeling yourself a little too much and you forget, you forget who you are. You know, you forget where you came from. And when you think about that, how are you going to be able to become the person you need to be if you let little success get to your head. If you let the small wins boost you up too much. Granted, I am a firm believer that you do have to celebrate those, those small wins. You have to celebrate little victories, of course, because sometimes those are the things that help keep you going. You know, and momentum is something that is extremely dangerous when you use it the right way but i think that what that comes down to is if you 
do not know how to handle a little bit of success properly, how the hell do you expect that you're ready for the amount of success or the level of success that you say you're ready for? You have to know how to be able to handle the little things before you can handle the bigger things. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, you know? Um, when you prepare for pride and you kill it early, or when you prepare for pride and you are able to self-assess, it saves you a lot of trouble when you can key in and realize, okay, I'm being too prideful. I need to calm down. Okay, I'm letting my ego get the best of me. Okay, I'm feeling myself too much. And if you don't kill that pride early, it's going to kill what you aspire to be, who you aspire to be, which is why this is part of the part of the book, the first part, aspire. Because this right now is is getting all the little things that are part of your ego that are going to hinder you from being the man or woman that you aspire to be. The first product of self-knowledge is humility. And by having humility, it exposes you to who you really are and it exposes you to the fact that you can reach any milestone, any accomplishment you want because you know when it's time to take a step back and self-assess or take a step back and let someone else lead or take a step back and not be afraid to be a servant or put somebody else first. Because really and truly, if you can't swallow your pride, you can't lead. Good leaders know how to swallow their pride. And that's just facts. So early pride, nip it in the bud quick. That way you can get a grip of your ego and you can move into the life and the amount of success that you deserve to move into. Um, and, and that was, that was really all I had on, on, on that. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add to that, bro, or if you wanted to talk about the, the last chapter work, 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 but that was all I had on that one. I want to talk about what you just said about leaders letting go of their pride. Oh, I want to talk about that right now. Um, I've been listening to this podcast by John Maxwell. It's called the John Maxwell School of Leadership Podcast, or it's the Leadership School. Something about along the line. And they talk about they talk about um, how leaders have to understand that what they do is not about them. The point of being a strong leader is moving people from point A to point B so that they can win. It, it's all about getting other people to actualize their goals. That's why not, that's why everybody isn't called to it. 
That's why everybody's not called to being a natural born leader. And it's not for everybody because it requires such a humble perspective. It requires such a calm and like, not even a calm and collective, but it requires a more very focused, long-term understanding of what you want right now. All right, and this kind of goes back to delayed gratification of what you want right now is is almost going to have to take that back seat in almost all aspects because how the better of a leader you are, the, the more humble you have to be. And we look at CEOs, we look at Fortune 500 CFOs, we look at startup businesses, we look at podcast hosts, we look at basketball players, football players, sports casters, we look at all these people. Hell, Stephen A. Smith was talking about how he's now the highest paid analyst, right? But for the longest, he had to understand that what he was doing might not have even be been valued at what by other people the way he saw it, right? And ego ego does this thing where it causes you to not want to do the work because you think you're a lot hotter than you are. It's understanding that you shouldn't let ego comfort you and prevent you from actually going after the grind. Ego should never stop you from grinding and continually pushing, pushing, pushing so that you can go to the next level. But ego should never stop you from humbling yourself so that you can take that step back, so that you can take those steps to break down everything in a way that um, shows you what's coming next so that other people can be ahead. Amen, brother. Amen to that. Um, and, you know, I think that the sooner that we realize how how important it is to get a handle of our ego that we'll realize the whole time the level of success the goals the dreams the visions we have for ourselves that we have longed for that we claim we work so hard for all of those things, we would realize that the reason why we have not reached them as of yet is not because of anyone else. It's not because of our circumstances. It, it's solely on us. And I think that the inability to self-assess is what really hinders us. And as long as we continue to have that inability to self-assess and be real with ourselves and check ourselves when we are wrong, 
then we will never get ahead because that's also a part of ego. So as soon as we are able to put those things in check and take responsibility for our lives and stop pointing the finger and stop putting our happiness and our future in other people's hands, the sooner we do this, the sooner we will start to see things tip in our favor. Um, the last chapter in Aspire um, that we wanted to go over was work, work, work. And to be honest, there is not really much to say about that. The title is pretty self-explanatory. Work, work, work. Having an idea is not enough. Just like when we went over the chapter on talk, 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 work, work, work is the same thing. Less talk, more action. So I want to challenge you guys to, number one, not be prideful. This week, try to self-assess. Try to see what points in your day or um, throughout the week where you feel yourself getting prideful or you feel your ego getting the best of you. Um, and then I want to challenge you guys to also work, you know, shut up and get to work, get to work on your dreams and restrain yourself. Don't let other people get the best of you. Don't let other people allow you to stoop to their level. And the last two, of course, get out of your own head. So stop overthinking. Just like Nike says, just do it. You've been waiting to do something for months, for years, and you're blaming the reason why you haven't got started on everyone else, on everything else but yourself. So get out of your own head and get to work. Um, and once again, you know, follow the canvas strategy. Don't be afraid to serve other people because like the great Jim Rohn once said, service to many leads to greatness. So I just challenge you guys to keep those things in mind this week and really embody them. And you, as you practice these things, as you're more mindful of these things, you'll start to see that part of a spire where you are getting closer to the man or woman that you aspire to be. So uh, guys, that's all I have for you uh, for this week. Paul, I don't know if you have anything you want to say, man, but that's all I got. Uh, let me just, let me just tag a little bit at the end of there. Um, especially in relation to work, 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 work. Or to Rihanna. Um, you know how, well, let me say it like this. Lately, I've been obsessed with running. I've been obsessed with the concept of marathon running, specific, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, that I'm training for. And I just saw this documentary that was done by 
National Geographic about Nike, specifically about breaking the two-hour mark of the full marathon. So that's 26.2 miles of marathon, which would basically mean that somebody would have to run 13.1 miles an hour in order to hit that. And there used to be a time that the thought of running a two-hour, five-minute marathon was impossible until it was done. There used to be a time where the thought of running a two-hour and two-minute marathon was impossible until it was done. There used to be a time where running a two-hour and 25-second marathon was impossible until it was done. So it begs me to differ. Wouldn't one think it's possible that they can actually run a marathon under two hours? There used to be a time that running a mile under four minutes was impossible until it was done. Now the standard is everybody runs a mile under four minutes. That's what's normal now. One of the greatest things about actually doing the work is that it takes you from what's in your head and translate it to what you can put down in the real world. Every great idea starts here. The light bulb, Tesla, basketball, the game, computers, technology, food, Kenyan tea. All great things start up here in the brain. But work is what translates it from your idea to an actual tangible object or an actual experience or an actual thing. Nobody ever used to think that one day people could pick up their phone and text somebody, call somebody, play music, watch something, do all these things. Steve Jobs said he was going to create something that could put 500 songs on it. Now, how many songs can we have on our phone? Unlimited. We have access to like millions of songs. And this is somebody that was saying 20 years ago. He just wanted to put 500. The difference was he took his idea and he actually worked after it. And the same can be for you. You don't have to be Steve Jobs. You don't have to be Bill Gates. You don't have to have gone to Harvard. You don't have to have dropped out of Harvard. You just have to be willing to grind. That's the difference. Eric Thomas says it. At the end of the day, grind is what it's about. You just have to be willing to grind every single day and understand that when you wake up in the morning and you start to work, you are making an investment in yourself. That's what it is. Sometimes I think people think investment, they think monetary, monetarily. But making an investment in your health could be Maybe I'm going to eat less rice. Maybe you're going to eat a salad. Maybe I'm going to eat healthy health. Maybe I'm going to eat less. Or for those that want to be gain weight, maybe I'm going to eat more. Maybe I'm going to eat more of this. Maybe I'm going to take a walk. Maybe I'm going to work out. Maybe I'm going to work out 20 extra minutes a day. Hell, maybe I'm going to work out 20 minutes a day. Maybe I'm going to wake up 30 minutes early so I can open my books and study a little bit more before class. Maybe I'm going to drink more water. You're making an investment in yourself. And the only way to attain what you want is by simply working to get it. And the more, and I promise you, the more work you put in, the more life will reward you and make it easier for you to actually attain what you want. We cannot get blessed with the things we want unless we prepare ourselves to have the things we need. 
It's impossible. It, it, it'd be crazy for you to say, I want to be in charge of a, oh my Lord, I almost said the oil company in this day and age. Uh, I want to be in charge of a, let's say, a social media company, but you're not out there utilizing Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter. How are you going to be capable of doing that? You, you, you can say that you want to get all straight A's, but if you're not out there hustling, if you're not out there taking the proper notes, paying attention in class, asking questions, talking to your classmates, talking to your teacher, studying at the proper way, utilizing the right study method, how are you going to get your 4.0? The only way to get from point A to point B is just by working and walking there and grinding there and running and crawling. You do whatever it takes to get what you want. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. You have to be willing to do what other people aren't willing to do to get what you really want. That's my piece on that. Amen, brother. Well, guys, with that being said, that wraps up part one of the book, Ego is the Enemy, and um, part one, Aspire. So what we're going to go ahead and do next week, we will get started on the first half of the second part of the book, which is success. So we're going to talk about in regards to success, how your ego plays a part in that and how your ego can hinder your level of success. So stay tuned, guys. Once again, we love you all. We appreciate you listening. We do this for for you. And you guys have a great rest of your week. And we will be back next week to bring you some more gems from the book, Ego is the Enemy. Take care, guys. See y'all. We hope that you guys enjoyed this week's episode of the Rooted Deep Podcast. We're so happy that you decided to join us this week. As we go forward, we just ask that you continue to share your thoughts with us, messages on Facebook, on Instagram, wherever you can find us on our social platforms. If you have any questions, also feel free to ask them there as well. As we go into this next week, I hope that you guys are able to just take the lessons that we've shared today, the experiences that we've shared today, and apply them to your own life so that you too can be able to enhance your own personal experience. Don't forget to be the most vulnerable version of you and just remember that you do matter and you have a story to share as well. We'll see you guys next time.